Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Academic Life, a podcast channel here on New Books Network. I'm Dr. Christina Gessler, the host of the channel. Today, we'll be talking to student Emma Halflin about her experience of being a visiting student abroad during the pandemic. Welcome to the show, Emma. Hi, thanks so much for having me. I am really glad you're here and that we get to talk about this. Right now, you are in the UK and I am on the West Coast of the United States, and we are doing this remotely during the pandemic. Before we dive into your pandemic experience, I wonder if you would tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. So I'm originally from Chicago, and I go to school in Ohio at Case Western Reserve University where I'm a junior double majoring in history and political science and minoring in French. Um, And then this semester, I've been lucky enough to be studying abroad at the University of Oxford. And so that leads to my next question, which is what drew you to those fields of study? Um, That's a good question. I was a very indecisive person uh, going into college. I did not know what I wanted to study. So I took my freshman year to explore different subject areas um, and figure out what I liked best. And so from there, I just sort of landed on um, political science. And then later on, I added history. Um, And I sort of knew that I wanted to minor in French uh, because I came in with some AP credits from high school. So it wouldn't be that many classes to get the minor. And we'll, we'll get to how you are now at Oxford. But first, I wonder if we could go back a bit and you could tell me about life in 2020 around March, if you could take us back to when you realized things were really going to change. So I remember back in in February, a a little bit earlier, um, I'm on the mock trial team at my school and it's it's like a really big time commitment. And back in February, we had a tournament in Indiana. And I remember we got back from the tournament and I was sitting with some of my roommates um, and we were just sort of chatting about this whole like, coronavirus situation that was happening in China and like, oh, that didn't sound like so good and hopefully it gets resolved soon. But it, it felt very far away. Um, and then I later read in the news that um, a couple of students from Miami University in Ohio had tested positive for COVID. And I thought, oh, that's so funny. I was just in Indiana at a tournament with other students um, from Miami University in Ohio. Um, what if I was exposed? Ha 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 ha. And my roommates did not think that this was so funny. Um, And they thought that it was going to be a pretty serious problem, but I didn't. Um, And I think I really thought it was going to be a serious issue closer to spring break. um, One of my history professors said to us, "Um, hey, guys, when you go home for spring break, please take all your textbooks for this class home with you. I don't think we're going to be coming back. And we all sort of laughed it off. We were like, haha, like that's not going to happen. Um, but just to be safe, I was like, I'm driving home. I have the space. I'll take my textbooks. And then we didn't end up being able to come back after spring break. So I was really glad that I did that. What happened to the rest of your stuff in your dorm room? Um, so right at the beginning of the pandemic, when they said, you know, they were, they were extending spring break by a week. And then they're like, you know what, actually the rest of the semester is going to be remote. They, they had like, my, my school had a one weekend, I think, opportunity for students to go back to campus and collect their things. 
And so luckily Chicago is within driving distance of Cleveland. So my dad and I went down and moved my stuff out of my dorm room. Um, like my roommates were there. Um, so we helped one of my roommates who lives in Arizona, we helped her move her stuff out into a storage unit. Um, we all had a storage unit together and then we went back home. But um, for students that weren't able to go back to campus and get their things, the school organized a, a program to like mail back essential textbooks and things and then put everything else into free storage for the summer. So when you and your dad went and don't share anything you don't want to, but when you and your dad were driving there and driving back, did either of you have a sense of how long this might be? No, I really don't. Like it's been going on over a year at this point, And I don't think either of us expected for this to last as long as it did. Um, it, it felt like it would be something temporary, like maybe things would resolve themselves over the summer. Um, I remember when we were driving up, we were like, oh, like, we'll make sure to wash our hands. Like, we'll have some hand sanitizer. But back then, people weren't being told to wear masks or anything. So, and I think we were actually being told to not wear masks and to save the masks for the medical professionals. So compared to how protect, how, how much uh, protection people wear when they go out today, it, it felt very risky that we did that. And so you're home for the rest of the spring and you're doing your work remotely. Did your professors fairly quickly pivot to online instruction? How did, how smoothly or how bumpy was that? Um, I think my professors did a really good job adjusting to the online learning situation. Um, it was definitely new for all of us, especially like some of my professors who don't really like to use technology a lot. Um, one of my classes that was on the larger side um, like a 60 person statistics class, my professor just decided to re record her lectures and the class became sort of asynchronous, which worked well. Um, and like my, one of my other professors decided that he was going to cancel one of our essays um, because he felt like we'd done enough work throughout the term that that was good enough. So my professors were really good at adapting, I think. I think the funniest class that had to adapt to the online format was my softball class. Um, because my my university has a gym requirement. Um, and so having to do my softball class online was really funny because you obviously can't do softball online. So we ended up just watching some videos and writing an essay. And did you like to have to do independent study exercise or did it become a study of softball as a sport rather than trying to have the actual fitness component? Uh, I think I think there was a fitness component. We had to we had to watch videos of like how to play softball. And then I think we had to go out and do like an hour of exercise each week or some sort of exercise. And we had to take pictures and send it back to the teacher. So I have a dog at home and I would just take my dog for long walks and get one of my parents to like take a picture of me and the dog to email to my teacher. Dress the dog up in your favorite sports logos. <laughs> my dog would not would not tolerate me putting clothing on her. <laughs> so no extra credit points for you for that one. That's too bad. <laughs> so how many courses were you in at that time? Um, I think five, um, which can sound like a lot depending on where you go to school, but a normal course load at case is between four to six classes. So it was it was manageable. And then do you typically take the summer off from studying and coursework? Yeah, I don't normally take summer classes. Um, 
I, I was meant to do an internship last summer with a government agency um, that I was really looking forward to doing. And then unfortunately it got canceled because of COVID. Um, so I had to scramble to find something last minute, which I was lucky enough to do. Do you want to share what you found? Oh yeah, sure. Um, so I, I ended up interning for um, a diversity, equity and inclusion consulting firm, which was a really neat experience for me um, because in my sorority on campus, I served as the diversity and inclusion chair for a year. So it was nice to um, to take some of that experience back when I served the second half of my term in the fall. And so the summer internship, was that completely remote? Yeah, it was completely remote um, and pretty much asynchronous. Um, so I would just do work on my computer at home all day, and then I would check in with my um, with my bosses um, every day and just like let them know where I was at. And then every week they had like a video Zoom meeting, and I would go to that. And so you're heading into fall of 2020. You've been home since spring break. What were your expectations for what fall semester would look like and how close did that turn out to be the truth? Um, well, back when we all got sent home in the spring, I, I thought that the fall would be back to normal. Um, and that obviously was not the case. Um, I wasn't expecting the fall to be as, um, as harsh in terms of COVID restrictions as it was, um, although the restrictions were definitely appropriate given how, how bad the pandemic was in the fall. Um, I definitely wasn't expecting to be um, kicked out of my on-campus housing two weeks before I was supposed to move in. Is that what happened? They just notified you two weeks before you were ready to go? Yeah. So two weeks before we were meant to move in, um, my school sent out an email saying that um, I think it was sophomores and juniors were no longer eligible for on-campus housing because they were deciding to reduce density because of the pandemic, which again, like that's a totally appropriate step I thought for the university to take if they had notified us way earlier. Um, Cause that the, the email that they sent us made it sound like that was always a possibility. And so it would have been nice for them to loop us in on that a little bit earlier, especially because one of my roommates who was from pretty far out of state already had flights booked back and everything. So their plan was to have freshmen on campus and seniors on campus? Yeah, they wanted to reduce all the dorms to, um, well, all the double dorm rooms. So nobody would have a roommate to single capacity. And then Besides the freshman dorms, pretty much everybody has their own room if they're living on campus, but they wanted to reduce the number of people using the same bathroom to, I think, no more than two people. So it really cut down the number of people that could live in on-campus housing. So when you're taking your remote classes in the fall, are any of them hybrid? Are you taking any classes where there, there are students right there in the classroom as well? Yeah. Well, I was lucky enough to find an off-campus apartment really last minute with um, one of my roommates. And so we ended up living on campus, well, off campus, but near campus in the fall, um, which was really nice because I'm not the kind of person that can get a lot of work done when I'm at home. Um, like I really need to be like in the university environment to get myself in the zone for studying. Um, and most of my camp, my classes were completely remote. I had one class that was completely in person, no hybrid. Um, and then I had a gym class that was hybrid. I'm so fascinated by these hybrid and online PE classes. They're blowing my mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Well, my hybrid PE class in the fall was a CPR class. So a little bit easier to do hybrid, except for the students who are doing it remotely had to make up the in-person exam at the end when they came back to campus. I respect how important CPR is, but it seems impossible to do given all of the COVID restrictions. It was definitely interesting taking a CPR class during COVID. Um, they they specifically skipped the mouth-to-mouth resuscitation lesson. They, they said that's not advised anymore because of COVID. Um, but it was helpful to, to get those skills. And as far as the um, restrictions they were placing on you, I know you're off campus, so they can't really uh, police or manage that the way they would the on-campus, but... Were you under hand sanitizer and mask restrictions? Basically, uh, all the, uh, how did that work? So I was really cautious about COVID going back to campus in the fall. I really didn't want to get sick, um, especially because I had my study abroad experience looming on the horizon. And I, I didn't want to do anything to jeopardize uh, my ability to travel. Um And even though I lived off campus, um, there were restrictions related to going onto campus, which I thought was a good plan on the part of the university. They made testing really accessible. Um, And I mean, it it took a little bit into the fall semester for them to get that up and running. But once they did, the testing was really easy to do and didn't take that long. It was like a spit in the tube test. Um, And so... I can't remember if this was the rule in the fall, but I know in the spring, because I heard from my friends who are still on campus that they mandated testing twice a week. And if you weren't getting those tests, but like swiping into university buildings with your ID card, you would like get an email like telling you off. And if you got enough of those, I think they would they would do something. And so at what point did you start making your plans um, to become a visiting student? How far in advance did you have to start putting together prep work for that? Um, So the program at Oxford is a pretty competitive program. And so, I mean, it's like Oxford, so you have to apply kind of far in advance. Um, So I actually applied for this program in January of um, last year. Like, I think the application deadline was January 2020 for a program that would start in January 2021. Um, And that's normally not the case with study abroad programs at school. The deadlines are normally a lot closer to when the program's happen. So if I wanted to study abroad in spring 2021 on really any other program that my school offered, the deadline for that would be in September of 2020. So I had to apply pretty far in advance and get um, teacher recommendations, write a personal statement, um, you know, send them my transcripts and everything. Um, And I applied through a third party program uh, because my school doesn't have any direct links with any colleges at Oxford. Um, Like some U.S. schools, like Ivy Leagues, stuff like that, they have direct links so their students can can go a a little bit more easily. But other students have to apply through third-party programs, which is what I did. And at the point that you were putting all that together, had you even heard of COVID-19? No, (laughs) that was not remotely on my horizon. Was there at any point as you were gathering more information about what the pandemic really meant that you started questioning if you would follow through, should Oxford come back and say, yes, Emma, we are accepting you as a visiting student. Were you having any thoughts in your mind about whether you would say yes or no when the letter came in? Definitely not. Um, I mean, I got my acceptance in February of 2020, I think. Um, 
And that was before COVID had started either. So I was really excited to get in um, because it was a selective program. My study abroad office told me, you know, like you should have some backup programs in case you don't get into this one. Um, And so I was really excited. um, And I always knew like when I was applying to university that study abroad was something that I wanted to do. Um, So it didn't really cross my mind to to not go even when COVID was bad. So was your thought process more gathering the information about what you needed to do to make sure it would work out? Yeah, my thought process was very much like, I need to make sure that I'm doing everything that I can so that I can definitely go to Oxford in the spring. Like, I don't want anything to stop me. Um, the only time that I, that I reconsidered whether or not I should come was um, because the program interfered with the internship that I was uh, accepted to for this summer. So I had to make a decision about whether or not I wanted to do the internship or study abroad. And ultimately, I decided to study abroad. So take us back to your prep to actually leave the States and go to the UK. What did you what did you have to do? And what was um, Oxford warning you that might be regulations they had on their end? Um, Oxford was I mean, Oxford is a really interesting place to study because it's quite decentralized. Um, They run on a college system. So the university is made up of 20 plus different colleges that all have their own rules and sort of operate independently under the banner of the university. I guess that's how I could best describe it. So I heard from my college that I was cleared to come and I was over the moon, but I ran into a lot of logistical issues with my home university and the third party program that I applied through. Um, My home university canceled study abroad for the spring semester because of COVID concerns. And the third party program that I applied through also canceled the in-person aspect of the study abroad program because of COVID. So if I had remained uh, with the program and my university, I would have done Oxford online from the States. That sounds like it would be horribly disappointing. Yeah, it, it wasn't what I wanted. Um, and so my school had an appeals process for going abroad in the spring, which I, I did. I appealed the decision to, can- to cancel study abroad specifically for my program. Um, unsuccessfully, they denied my appeal. Um, it was kind of a frustrating process because my study abroad advisor in September had told me, oh, study abroad in the spring is definitely going to happen. I don't think you need to be worried. And then it became, well, if they cancel it, you can appeal and you're definitely going to get approved on your appeal. And then it was, well, I'm sorry, there's not really a lot I can do for you now. <laughs> um, so ultimately, in order to study abroad in person here at Oxford, I made the decision to leave the third party program and take a leave of absence from my home university. Um, And Oxford was still comfortable with me coming in person. Wow. Okay. So let's talk about actually getting there. What is it like? So many of us listening have not been in an airport or on a plane in a year or so. What was it like to actually travel? It was bizarre. Um, I, I've been to England before. I have some family here. Um, and I've, I've been to the airport in Chicago loads of times, but it was just kind of a nerve wracking experience. Um, you know, I, I knew the flight was going to be long and I knew I would have to have my mask on for the whole time, which was a little bit just like worrying, not, not the wearing the mask part. Like I, I didn't mind, but it was just wearing it for so long. I was like, I don't know, like my ears are going to hurt so much. Like my face, like, is my face going to be okay? 
And then I was worried about meal times on the plane because it's it's a long flight. They're obviously going to serve meals, but I was like, I don't want to be around other people who are taking their masks off. This is kind of concerning to me. Um, and just the airport was so deserted. It was really empty. Um, and I was sitting by my gate, you know, getting frustrated with people who are taking their masks off to eat um, because I've been being really strict about COVID. Um, but I was lucky enough when I got on the plane to um, be able to move to a seat where I didn't have anybody in, in the row in front of me. And I didn't have anybody in the row behind me. So I felt a little bit more comfortable on the plane. Um, and everybody that was on the plane with me was really good about wearing their masks. Um, but it was so strange being on a plane that was so empty. Some of my friends here at Oxford who are also visiting students this term, uh, who who came from a different part of the U.S., their flight, they said, was like completely packed, um, which is almost more shocking to me than my half-empty flight. Yeah. Wow. I'm I'm just flabbergasted to hear that the uh, airlines were were serving food. So many of the regulations are, you know, they're not serving alcohol. They're not serving food. They don't want you to bring your own. They don't want you to use the lavatory. Um, and and understandably, for such an incredibly long flight, that could raise its own health issues. Um, people, there are people for certain reasons who need to eat every so often. They can't just wing it for eight or twelve hours. So um, th- that's just. It sounds so surreal, especially for people who know what travel was like prior to this. Yeah, it was really weird. Um, although it was a luxury to be able to recline my seat back all the way for the overnight part and not be worried about getting in somebody else's personal space. And did they require like a, a nasal swab at the airport? What did what did the airport need to feel safe to have you come on the plane, if um, anything? I think I just had to fill out a questionnaire saying that I didn't have any symptoms, but I was not required to get tested on either side. I wasn't required to get tested in America before I got on the plane. I wasn't required to get tested in the UK after. Well, I, I sort of was in the UK, but not not immediately, um, not when I got off the plane. Um, going through customs in the UK was, was so bizarre um, because normally there's long lines everywhere and you have to wait. And it was deserted. I had, I had to find a security guard and be like, am I in the right place? There's nobody else here. Um, and I had all, you know, all my documents with me because um, it's, a, I was, I'm in the UK for six months. So you can't, that's not just like a normal visitor entry. I had to have some documents to prove that I was there for, um, for, for academic reasons. Um, and it was, it was just, I was out of customs in like 15 minutes. It was the quickest that has ever taken for me in my life. And so you arrive and understandably every country is creating their own uh, pandemic restrictions and those fluctuate just as much as the ones do in the U.S. So when you arrive, is public transportation operating? What is your sense of how you're going to get a lot around and the safety protocol that they expect you to use? So public transportation was operating, I believe. I don't think they ever stopped that in the UK. But um, at the time when I arrived, the UK had just entered a lockdown. um, And so people weren't permitted to leave um, their houses um, or like travel outside of their area for any like non-essential reasons. Everything was closed except for like grocery stores and other essential businesses. 
um, there was a bus that goes from from Heathrow to Oxford, um, like a public bus, uh, coach bus. So I took that into Oxford, um, which was a pretty chill ride. Like there weren't a lot of people on the bus. Everybody had masks. The bus had a little video, I think, about, you know, you have to wear your mask. Um, and then when I got to Oxford, I I got a little, I got a little turned around. The bus terminal is really close to my college, but um, I was just a little bit disoriented. So had to like pull up my maps, figure out how to get to my college, like with my two ginormous suitcases. Um, I found my college. I sort of like walked up to the front door. I was like, do I just like ring the doorbell? <laughs> like, I don't know if you've ever been to an Oxford college, but most of them have um, big, big wooden doors and you can't really see what's on the other side for most of them. It's like quite secretive. Um, so I just rang the doorbell and the porter opened the door. Um, all Oxford colleges have porters, which are like, like combo of like security guards and, and sort of other miscellaneous jobs. They sit at the front of college and make sure that only people who are um, authorized come in. And if somebody gets locked out of their room, they deal with that. If there's noise complaints, they deal with that, that sort of thing. So the porter let me in and was like, are you allowed to come back? Um, because Oxford had just, um, because of the lockdown, had just issued um, a rule that that students couldn't come back unless they had an approved reason, which I guess my reason was approved because I was allowed to come. Um, and so I sort of just like introduced myself to her. I was like, hi, I'm here, visiting student. Let me in, please. And we went from there. So were they operating at reduced capacity then at that point? Yeah, so Oxford's winter term is called Hillary, and during Hillary, people weren't allowed to return to their colleges unless they had uh, an approved reason. And so what reasons counted varied based on the college. I know some people here at my college who said that they didn't have appropriate study spaces at home, and so they were allowed to return. Um, Other reasons that I think people um, could give to come back were like mental health reasons or... um, other like family reasons or, you know, some specific courses require in-person study, like in in a lab. So that kind of stuff. And so the housing that you're in, is it specifically for visiting students? Are you integrated with the the full population that's at Oxford for their, their entire course of study? So I'm in a building that is mixed with Oxford students and visiting students. But because of COVID, we've been divided into households. Um, so basically, everybody has their own room and ensuite bathroom, and then we share a kitchen. And so people have been arranged into households based on the kitchen that they would use um, that's closest to their room. And so you're, you're allowed to socialize um, normally with your household, like no masks, no distancing required. That's sort of meant to be your bubble. Um, and then you're not meant to go into other parts of the building. Um, that's not your household. And so my household is is all visiting students, but I've been able to just like walking around college and stuff like that, I've been able to meet some other students here too. And so how much of what you're doing there is remote? Um, all of my all of my courses are remote. So Oxford works on a different system to most US schools called the tutorial system, which is also pretty unique in England. I think only Oxford and Cambridge work under it, but I could be wrong. Don't <laughs> don't count me on that. Um, and so you you learn very independently. So you 
as a visiting student, I take two tutorials um, each term, a major tutorial, which meets every week, and a minor tutorial, which meets every other week. And the terms are eight weeks. So my major tutorial meets eight times and my minor meets four times. And then during those times in between, I am reading a lot and writing a lot. Um, I have an essay due every week for my major and an essay due every other week for my minor. Um, And all of the tutorials, so when I meet face-to-face with my tutor, um, those are all online. Although in the next couple of weeks, I might have one in-person tutorial because my tutor is getting his second shot um, and will be fully vaccinated and then comfortable meeting in person and restrictions have lifted to allow that. Um, The most in-person aspect of the academic experience has been studying in the libraries, which are incredible. So when you meet with your tutor, give us a sense of um, what that's like. Is it one-on-one? Is it small group? Is it the whole uh, cohort that's taking the class? How does that work? Um, So when I applied to Oxford, I had to apply with specific courses that I wanted to take. Um, And I have been able to modify those courses um, as as needed or as as desired. Um, But tutorials uh, generally meet in small groups or one-on-one. And the sense that I've gotten from some Oxford students here is that one-on-one tutorials aren't super common, um, but that's what I've had since I've been here. I've had one-on-one tutorials. um, So it's just been me and my tutor, um, which has been really cool and also kind of intimidating uh, because it's Oxford and these um, tutors are super accomplished. Um, It's not really, it's not done to call your tutor's professor at Oxford. That's like a title reserved for um, really distinguished teachers. So um, even though I'm saying tutor, that's like the equivalent of a professor in America. Um, So it's been, it's been such an amazing um, and, and valuable experience to have one-on-one instruction from, from these tutors because they're, they're really lovely and um, they, they give such amazing feedback and, and constructive criticism for my writing. So I feel like I've really grown a lot academically. And there's no coasting. If it's one-on-one, there's nothing really that you can finesse or hide behind. They know how much you've gotten done. They know what you're not understanding. So there's a great benefit there, but it would seem as a student, particularly given that the pandemic is putting pressures on all of us and then you're in a foreign country, it would seem seem like there's quite a bit of um, pressure on you. Yeah, there definitely is. Um, The way that courses sort of work at Oxford is you get a reading list from your tutor of, I mean, it it depends on your, I had one tutor last term who was so kind and would only assign me three to five readings a week. And when I say reading, that could be an article in a journal, or it could be a 300 page book or like a 600 page book, whatever is appropriate to the topic that we're covering. Um, but most of my tutors assign much longer reading lists. So a couple pages of articles and books, which obviously they do not expect me to read all of that. It would be humanly impossible. Um, one of my tutors assigned like, like a several pages of reading material, which included, um, four or five, 600 page philosophy books. Um, so obviously kind of impossible to read all of that cover to cover, but the idea is that you, you do as much reading as you can and sort of become, um, as much of an expert on the topic of the week as you can, and then you write an essay on it. Um, And the essays generally range from 2,000 to 3,000 words. So writing under such tight, writing so much and reading so much under such tight deadlines 
and then being the only one in my tutorials to talk about it with my tutors has um, definitely been um, a challenge, but one that I've really enjoyed. And the thing about the tutors is obviously they can tell like based on your essay and then also based on your conversation, what you've read and, and how deeply you've read it. So they can sort of gear the, the conversation towards that. It sounds like in some ways, the way the world is more shut down has allowed for this level of very intense focus. I'm thinking if if it was business as usual, there'd be such a great temptation to sightsee and join clubs and be incredibly social because it's your one opportunity to really be there and drink it all in. And this sort of myopic focus on the work is um, in some ways created by this changed environment that we're all living in. Yeah, that's definitely true. I have, I mean, I've, I've had fun. I've been able to go out um, and explore Oxford and some other places in the UK when restrictions lifted. Um, but I've, I've really had the opportunity to focus on my work and like having taken online classes in the States in the fall and then taken online classes here in the spring, the tutorial method of, of teaching is really built for online. Like not that it's meant to be online, but if it, if any kind of university teaching had to be online, this would be it. Um, especially cause I'm the only one in my tutorials. So it's, it's pretty much the same, like, one-on-one conversation online or one-on-one conversation in person. So the, the system translates really well. Yeah. So how does it work socially though? With so much shut down, um, how, how are you making that part work? Socially, it has been a bit of a challenge just to make sure that I'm following all the rules of, of Oxford, the rules at my college and the UK guidance on COVID. Um, and making sure that my socialization is not infringing on any of that. Um, I'm lucky enough where I get on really well with the people in my household. So we've been able to do a lot of fun things together. Um, And restrictions have eased recently. So as of April 12th, outdoor dining and non-essential businesses could reopen. Um, They were closed since January. And then um, as of May 17th, indoor dining was reopened and non-essential hotel stays and things like that. So with that, like most recent, like May 17th restriction, um, a lot of some societies have gone back to doing in-person activities. So I've been able to go and explore societies are like clubs at Oxford. And I've been able to um, go to some societies and meet other people that way as well. Many U.S. schools are imposing uh, vaccine requirements. Do you have a sense of uh, if Oxford is following suit with that or if it's optional? Um, it's kind of hard to get a sense of it. Um, it feels like watching the vaccine roll out here and then watching it from afar back in the States, it felt like a lot more of a free for all in the U S and, and a lot more organized here. Um, you get contacted for the, to, to tell you that you're eligible for the vaccine from your general practitioner, who's like your, your doctor, um, and so the rollout has been going smoothly, I think, here, but um, people my age won't be eligible until the summer. Um, so Oxford hasn't really made any statements on whether or not the vaccine will be required in the fall. Um, I think they just sent out an email today saying they're not sure what the fall is going to look like yet. So it seems like they're they're still in the process of deciding. So for you, you, you could return to the States this summer unvaccinated and make a decision in the States about getting vaccinated. 
yeah, I am very much looking forward to getting my vaccine when I get home. So how are you maintaining ties with your sorority, with your former roommates, with your family in America? How is that part working for you? Um, well, the internet is an amazing thing. Um, and I've been able to FaceTime and Facebook Messenger video chat and like Instagram Messenger video chat with a lot of my family and friends back home. Um, I didn't really go to any sort of events that my sorority was having online. I wanted to take this time to focus a lot on um, my experience here at Oxford and not sort of be caught between two things. Um, I did go to like my mock trial team's elections for next year um, and some meetings for another club that I'm on the executive board for. But for the most part, I've just been keeping in contact with individual friends and family members. as often as I can. I mean, the time difference is hard, especially because my friends from school were in three different time zones. So it's a bit challenging sometimes to find a time that works for all of us, but um, it's been good to stay in touch. People are talking about Zoom fatigue. How is that affecting you? I definitely am tired of doing things on Zoom, but, or did I say tired? I'm definitely tired of doing things on Zoom, Um, but, a little bit less so here than at home, purely because there's not as many things on Zoom here. Um, like societies back in in Hillary, the winter term, I think some of them did some online events, but um, extracurricular activities are a lot of a bigger thing in the States than they are here. Um, and so there weren't like a ton of events going on and I didn't really feel like trying out anything for a club that I had never been to before online. So I was spending a lot less, I I am spending a lot less time on Zoom here than I did at home. So I'm not feeling quite as fatigued. You mentioned that you needed to take a leave of absence from your uh, regular college in order to be here at Oxford right now. Has this affected your timeline for completion or will the credits that you're earning now um, keep you on your expected graduation trajectory? Thankfully, it won't affect my graduation date, although all the work that I'm doing here, I'm not going to get credit for when I get back home. Um, My university made it pretty clear that they're not going to be giving me credit, no ifs, ands, or buts, Um, which is a little bit frustrating because other students could take, for for example, a hypothetical student could take a leave of absence and study at a community college in person to get like that experience that they would not be getting at case because they were online for the spring, I believe, and they could get credits from that. So I was a bit frustrated because I didn't really see a difference between what I was doing here and what somebody could hypothetically do at home. Um, but I'm, I'm still on track to graduate on time um, because I had enough credits going into this study abroad experience where I could finish in two semesters instead of three. Um, and then re-enrolling in the fall Um, after my leave of absence was a bit of a complicated process because my university didn't want to process my application to return until May, which would have been after course registration and housing registration. Um, But I was luckily able to to speak with them um, and and convince them to uh, process my application before those deadlines. So for senior year, you'll be back in the States and are you expecting to live on campus then? Yeah. um, Yeah, I'm going to be living on campus next year. And you'll be back in your sorority and you'll be finishing up your your dual degree, your dual majors? 
Yeah, so I'll be back on campus, back on mock trial, back in my sorority, um, back integrated into campus. Um, Case said that they haven't made a, a decision about requiring students to be vaccinated, but they've said that everything's going to be in person in the fall and dorms are going to be operating at full capacity. So I'm looking forward to a more sort of normal experience. Um, it's been a while. <laughs> um, and I'll be finishing up my my degree as well, my, my double majors. Um, I've already finished my minor. So you have a little bit of time left in Oxford. We're taping in early June and you'll be wrapping up uh, sometime before summer gets well underway. Are you going to take any time to to travel? Or are you looking forward to finishing what you started there and coming home to see the family and get your first shot? <laughs> as I would love to travel as much as I, I would love to travel so much. Um, it's sad that I couldn't. Um, the way that the Oxford terms are structured is the terms are eight weeks long and then there's six week breaks in between. So um, in sort of March, April, I had a six week break where I couldn't do a lot of traveling because of all the COVID restrictions, um, which was unfortunate. But um, sadly, I, I won't really have a lot of time to travel after Oxford. Um, my summer internship gets started the week after the term at Oxford ends. Um, and if I, I can't stay in the UK too much longer anyway because of my visa, but it would have been nice to travel around Europe since um, restrictions are easing a little bit with other countries in Europe as well. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what this summer's internship is going to be? Um, yeah, I'm interning with uh, a group in Chicago that researches um, issues related to criminal justice. Um, and it's I think it's a nonprofit. So I'm looking forward to um, interning with them and getting to do some research. The pandemic has definitely had so many downsides so much pain and difficulty for so many people. And yet there are different things we've all uncovered during this time that have worked well for us or that we hope to see continue as we reopen and we move forward. For you, what are what are some of those things that you hope um, go forward as we reopen? Um, well, I'm really looking forward to getting getting back and getting to getting back to the States and getting to see my friends at home and my friends at school. And I'm really hoping that um, a lot of the academic year can happen normally or as normally as, as is safe. Um, uh, I really missed like those on-campus experiences and getting to do things in person with, with clubs that I'm involved in and with my sorority. Um, and a lot of those experiences, um, like, sadly, I feel like I've missed out on a little bit just because I've been doing remote school since um, spring of 2020, basically. So I'm hoping to be able to enjoy my last year of college as much as I can with as many sort of in-person and back-to-normal events as I can as it's safe. What's something that you've learned about yourself uh, during lockdown and during <sighs> safer-at-home measures that you don't think you would have learned elsewhere? Um, I think I really learned a lot about resilience. Um, you know, it was really hard last summer having my internship get canceled and then having to, to bounce back right away and find something else to do because it was already May and deadlines had passed for pretty much every other internship. Um, and then it was really hard again this fall, constantly being told, no, you can't go to Oxford. No, we're canceling study abroad. Or well, now you have to decide if you're going to do your internship or if you're going to go abroad. Um, 
And so just finding ways to, um, to be able to, to do what I want, despite all of the, all of the no's that the pandemic has thrown at me, um, has been really rewarding. What are some things that you realized are really important to you? Um, I think I realized how important my, my family, my friends are to me, um, not being able to see them in person, um, and not being able to to go out and do fun things with them and, and make and have like some fun experiences and make those memories with them has been hard. And so I've learned to appreciate, you know, what I can get like through video calls, through um, like Netflix watch parties, um, just quality time with my friends and family, even if it has to be online. What do you hope? Uh, listeners will take away from this conversation today? What do you hope that it sparks or what hope do you hope they will take away? Oh, I don't want to get, I don't know. Um, I guess, I guess I hope that just, you know, it, even if you get told no a ton of like a thousand times, you can find a way around the no and be able to, to make, make your um, plans happen. That's a great takeaway. And your story has definitely been one of a lot of doors that seemed firmly shut and finding a way to keep going. Yeah, it was it was definitely hard, but I think these are good skills to have for the future. And it sounds like it's been a time of really determining what were your priorities, because at some point with these no's, you had to determine how important this was to you, how how hard you were going to work to make it happen. Yeah, that's definitely true. Um, I really wanted to go study abroad when I was in college. That was pretty much the only thing I knew going in. Didn't know my major, but I knew I wanted to go abroad. And so I'm just really grateful that I was still able to have this experience despite the pandemic. When the pandemic is over and some time has passed and you look back on this time, what do you think um, will be what you take away from it? I think I'll take away how lucky I was to be here, um, but some regrets too. Um, I mean, it's not it's not really productive to look back and say like, oh, what could have been if it hadn't been for COVID? Like all of the fun, you know, like college dinners that you could have had or um, the societies that you could have joined or, you know, the talks that you could have gone to, the places you could have explored. But that's not really productive. So I think I'll, I'll look back and I'll just be grateful that, um, you know, the pandemic made it so I couldn't travel other places, but it forced me to explore Oxford a lot. And so I'll be grateful for all those cool walks that I went on um, and random things that I found, like this medieval nunnery on the side of a walking path that I had no idea was there. And I probably wouldn't have found it if it wasn't for the pandemic and I decided to um, go for long walks all the time. Thank you so much for being on the show today, Emma, and telling us about your pandemic experience of being a student abroad. I'm Dr. Christina Gessler, and you've been listening to The Academic Life on New Books Network. Please join us again.